The scripture reading this morning is Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. May God add a blessing to this reading. And it is Advent, as you can tell by all of the decorations. Uh, We begin the four weeks of Advent today. Advent, uh, the word literally means to come or to arrive. And it's a time when we we sit in expectation, waiting for Christ to come. Now, for most of us, this coming is celebrated at Christmas as we remember the birth of the Christ child. But historically, Advent has really been focused on the expectation of Christ's return someday in the future. And so uh, Advent is full of that eschatological expectation. Those are big words for the second coming, waiting for Jesus to come again. And that's why a lot of our Advent tunes come in minor keys, because we're, uh, we're waiting for something, right? And that's an important uh, part of that. It's that expectation. And as I was thinking about this for the last few weeks, I wondered to myself, what are we supposed to be doing while we live in this in-between time, a time that remembers the past but looks to the future. A time of the here and now and a time of the yet to come. What Advent gives us is the opportunity to explore what we are to be doing in the interim. The Advent themes represented by the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love point us to the activities of the Christian heart as we actively wait in expectation of what God will do, what God has done, and what God is doing now. And so today we have heard the words of Isaiah as we look to him for hope. And on hearing today's reading, I can't help but feel a little sad, a little melancholy about it. I look at the world almost 3,000 years after these words were shared with God's people. And we are no closer to Isaiah's vision of what the kingdom of God should look like than we were then. War rages all over the globe. People die senselessly and needlessly in violence. In fact, violence is a normal and accepted way in the world. We We codify it in our video games and our television. The disparity between those who have and those who have not widens and it 
contracts, but it widens even more. Makes me wonder, when, Lord? We've been waiting. When, Lord, are you coming? And the notion of peace in the world, the concept of a world that is equitable, the idea of a world devoid of violence and disparity and oppression and marginalization just seems to be an impossible pie-in-the-sky dream. At best, we have the hope that somehow God will come and just fix it all and sort it all out. But I can tell you that sitting back and waiting for God to sort it all out certainly was not the hope that Isaiah was trying to instill in the hearts of his people when he wrote this passage we read today. Isaiah, a prophet to Judah and Jerusalem more than 700 years before Christ, at a time when Israel was split. They had split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and and Judah was the southern kingdom, which included Jerusalem. And Isaiah was a prophet to this group of people. And he prophesied at a time when Assyria was asserting herself into the northern kingdom. It had already fallen to the Assyrian powers. And it was clear that it wouldn't be long before Assyria would be taking over Judah as well. And Isaiah was pleading with the kings of Judah and Jerusalem to remain faithful to God, to act justly, and to allow God to be the head of their world and not to, not to capitulate or give in to the ways of this world. And Isaiah offers us this eloquent vision of what faithfulness will look like and result in if uh, for the people of God. If they remain faithful, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations will stream to it. The vision Isaiah offers the kings of Judah if they remain faithful. And in spite of Isaiah's visions of what faithfulness would yield, the kings of Judah continued to act as one who had no faith in God at all. They took up arms against Assyria in earlier times, but now, because it was politically expedient, they paid tribute to the Syrian throne. And in the time of King Ahaz, they make an alliance with Assyria for fear that the northern kingdom would invade them as well. And they practically invite the Assyrian army to come into Jerusalem. All of this frustrates Isaiah to hysteria. And if you read Isaiah front to back, uh, you can see Isaiah's frustration build (laughs) over time. Suffice it to say that Isaiah was bringing the message, have faith in the ways of God. But the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah basically said, oh, we have faith in God, but this is how the world runs. Those are great ideals, but this is reality. And we have to function in reality. For Isaiah... It was not a call to sit back and wait for God to fix everything. 
He gives this picture of a peaceful world so that they might begin to live it out and live as people who actually believed that God would act. The people couldn't see it. King Uzziah and King Ahaz could not see in their mind's eye how peace could be achieved by living out the picture of the world that God, that Isaiah, God painted through Isaiah for them. And in the end, they resorted to the ways of the world to manage their issues. And the result was that Judah fell. The people of God went into exile. The great Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann comments that this text reminds him of a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. In the year that he died, Dr. Martin Luther King compared the world to a global house. He quoted an author's idea for a novel where a widely separated family inherited a house in which they all had to learn to live together. King said, this is the great new problem of humankind. We've inherited a large house, a great world house, in which we have to live together. Black and white, Eastern and Western, Gentile and Jew, Catholic and Protestant, Muslim and Hindu, a family separated in ideas, culture and interest. Who, because we can never again live apart, must learn somehow to live with each other in peace. Our own prophets cry out for us to live out the vision of God's promise. And yet, we still cannot seem to see it. i got to say, I think this is the issue. I don't think we really believe it. And I... I know you're feeling a bit defensive about that. You want to say, I'm a a person of faith. I think that we believe maybe someday Jesus will come back and fix everything. Or at worst, we we think that things might get worse until we destroy ourselves as humans. But I know immediately you're thinking, well... Jesus is going to make things all right and everything's going to get fixed. But then I'm not sure we really believe that Jesus is at work in the world today. How often do we conduct ourselves as though God were really in charge? How often do we offer up lip service about our faith in God as provider, God as the intercessor, God as the one who points us to the light. And yet how often do we function in reality? (laughs) Attributing that to just idealistic thinking. And, you know, how often do we say things like, those are just necessary evils. And how often do we think in our heart of hearts, I don't really think there is such a thing as the kingdom of God. But I dare say that in God's kingdom, there, is no, there are no necessary evils. <laughs> that isn't the picture we get from Isaiah 
earlier and later. And I want to I want to tell you, I join you in this. This is hard stuff. Don't feel bad if you're saying to yourself, you know what, you're right. I I find it difficult to function as one who believes that God has ushered in a new kind of world. Because it's so easy to function as one in this world. Grounded in the ways of our culture and the ways, you know, particularly around Christmas time, I got to say, it's so hard to be otherworldly because everything's so shiny. And you just want to go and buy those shiny things. And you want to find your joy in the things of this world. (laughs) But God says those will not lead to joy. They will lead to the kind of world we don't really want. Cheap shoes. Here's an example, and I don't mean to get political, but cheap shoes cost someone else a lot. They cost us very little. But in some other country somewhere, it's costing someone else a lot. There is this ultimate reality that if we continue to live as people of this world in reality, it will be the reality we have. The issue is we are called to live as aliens in a world, citizens of the nation of God, who live out life differently. But how often do we really let that vision of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like change our behavior, change how we live, change how we interact with the world around us? This is hard stuff. This is a hard teaching. That's why I think it's easier and our inclination is to just wait for God to come and fix it all (laughs) and change it all. Because... It seems so big and so hard for us to to change. But I think Jesus, you know, we, we say to ourselves, those are great ideals, but the world just doesn't run that way. But I think Jesus would ask us, well, why not? I've left it in your hands. Why doesn't it run that way? Jesus said, I come to proclaim good news to the captives and freedom to the oppressed. And then he said, this prophecy is fulfilled today in your hearing. When he started his ministry in Luke and he rolled up the scroll and they ran him out of town for it. But he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand and we no longer live in the old world, but we live in a world where those who were lost are found, where those who are blind can see, where those who are deaf can hear. We live in a world where God is bigger than our rituals, but lives with us each day, putting His hand in our own, saying, I know where you're going and I know what you're going through. Jesus showed us a world where abundance is not what we have, but in what we share. Amen. Give me an amen for that one. That's good. (laughs) We live in a world where there is no longer, as Paul says in Galatians, Greek or Jew, male or female, servant and master.
Jesus painted us a picture of the world and said, this is the world you are called to live in. We live in a world where the untouchable are treated like kings and kings like Jesus are like everybody else. Jesus painted us a picture of the world as God saw it. Then said to us, you have everything you need to make it happen. You have everything you need. I will give you everything you need. I have given you this great vision. We've written it down in a book so you can preserve it over time. I've given you the Holy Spirit to help you, to guide you, to comfort you, to inspire you. And I've given you each other to come alongside, to support one another, and to be that family, that blessed community, MLK called it. I've given you the gifts you need, the talents you need. What are we waiting for? I believe Jesus says to us in this Advent season, live like you mean it. Live differently. Who cares what the rest of the world is doing? Live like it's up to us. Live like the world depends on it. Live like Jesus' coming is encapsulated, embodied in you and me. Live as though Jesus were already here. Is. Amen. Faith is nice. <laughs> Religion is nice. Church is nice. And it's so easy to get comfortable being a religious person and being in the world we live in, fully invested in both. Our country. God bless it, makes it easy to be religious and never change. <laughs> but Jesus says, to be a follower of me means not only changing the way we live in the world, but changing the world around us for the better. We're called the difficult changes, lifestyle changes. We're called to live as one who is an alien in this land. Today, as we light the candle of hope, it is Christ's hope for the world that we would respond as we wait for the coming of the Christ child as we wait for the coming of Christ to come into the world again, that we would be people living in hope and living out that hope in faith. That that hope might be realized in our own lives and in the lives of the people we touch. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, Advent, we invite you to come, to arrive. And as you do, we hear you saying, 
What are we waiting for? Let's change this world for the better. Let's bring about the peace I promise. Let's live in the kingdom of God and invite others to join us. Knowing that as we do, one person at a time, the world changes for the better. and becomes more a reflection of the kingdom of God. Amen.